Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Um, welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm delighted that Bonnie Wan is my guest. Bonnie is a partner and the head of strategy. Is that what you're Head of brand strategy. Head of brand strategy, to be absolutely correct, of Goodby Silverstein and Partners, um, wonderful agency in San Francisco. And anywhere else? Just San Francisco? San Francisco and, uh, and a burgeoning office in New York. Burgeoning office in New York. There we are. And you. Thank you. So uh, thanks for coming on, on the show. Um, being a little... Probably a long time I wanted to get you on the show. I don't know if, if I, it was just in my head. And then I decided that I would actually reach out. Um, but we've known each other a while. And um, both us, I spent time, a lot of time in San Francisco. Yes. Two decades. Um, so, Bonnie, take us through your little bit of your background. Um, what got you to where you got to today? Okay. I think that was a very open question because some people want to talk about their formative kindergarten experiences. <laughs> Well, here, here's here's the caveat. It's 3.30 um, West Coast time, which is smack in the middle of that, you know, uh, wonderful afternoon lull. So I have pumped myself with some caffeine to yes. keep the energy high. But I do um, so appreciate you having me, Ed. It's just good to be connected after all these years, reconnected. And I want to just say that I was very specific about being partner and head of brand strategy because I have a partner in crime. I'm at Goodby Silverstein Partners, who's Christine Chen, and she is also a partner and head of comm strategy. And I know we'll talk a little bit about the planning practice and how we approach strategy and what's integrated and how does that work. But I just want to say up front that I get to share this wonderful leadership experience um, with her. And she's extraordinary. Um, but my background is, uh, I, if, if I were to start before kindergarten, I'm an immigrant that uh, from Taiwan that moved to the U.S. when I was um, about six years old. But uh, And that has, um, I think, in light of the last two years, I, I only mention it because more and more, I think it, it strikes me how much that has informed me and um, my journey in the world. Uh, not necessarily my journey um, to strategy, but but perhaps that as well. Um, I don't know. Um, my background is I started maybe. What did you study? Where did you go to school? What did you study? Uh, I went to NYU and I studied um, communications, very broad. But I think, you know, my fascination with human behavior started way, way back, even predated um, college and university. I think my fascination, my obsession with creativity, and then my, um, my um, met my obsession with um, human behavior, you know, mm-hmm. and what makes people tick. So I, I think those all, those two things predated all of it. Um, and while at NYU, I happened to um, work at the front desk of the Peninsula Spa, which was at the top of the Peninsula Hotel on the on Fifth Avenue in New York, because I thought I could meet advertising execs there. <laughs> and lo and behold, I met um, some very senior Jane Gundell, who was um, 
a very senior um, uh, leader at Weisswit and Carol Stagliano. So Adam Stagliano was the, the first person, my first Adam, I like to say, because I left Adam Stagliano to work with Adam Morgan at TBWA Shia Day. And I actually it was pre-TBWA. It was just Shia Day. And I, I believe I was Adam Morgan's first hire at Shia. And that allowed me to come back to the West Coast. And um, after experiencing and being, I, I think. Was that where your family is there on the West Coast? Yeah, I grew up in LA in yeah. the South Bay. And um, I kind of cut my teeth with Adam Stagliano on New York planning and strategy is when Kirschenbaum days, you know, we were competitive with yep. Kirschenbaum and there's a great culture there. Um, and Jay Newman and Merkley Newman um, Hardy, I think what was that yep. name then. And then I came to Shia and those were my real formative years with Adam and, and the crew there. And then I came up to San Francisco shortly after that and um, did a small tour of Halrinian Partners and Footcone and Belding before I landed at my long-term home, little did I know, could be Silverstein and Partners. So who was the head of strategy when you joined? John Steele. Okay. And I remember watching John Steele present the Sega case study um, at uh, a conference, and it absolutely shook me to my core because I saw strategy laid out in a way that I had never experienced before. Um, we talk about insight so much, you know, in, in the planning practice and never before had I seen strategy so human. I mean, deeply human, not just intellectual, you know, there's knowing and then there's knowledge and then there's knowing. And it was real knowing that the, 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 it understood people at a level and you know it was the polaroid case study sega there were so many cases that i later um and of course got milk um that drew me that there was a myth to the mountain of good be silver scene partners and and john certainly epitomized all of that um and then later of course understanding the beautiful mix um of strategic insight with um creative punch, you know, um, creative that I, I never seen expressed the way that Jeff Goodby and Rich Silverstein came at it. Um, and the tension between the differences of those two humans um, created a lot of beautiful work over the years. Mm -hmm. So what would you, what would you say have been the biggest changes? I mean, I think you and I have a similar I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we're of a similar, similar generation. We've been through a similar experience, certainly, certainly in the in in the US in my US time. Um, and I think obviously John was, you know, is was iconic. Uh, the work that Goodby did, that he did with Goodby, is sort of is obviously books being been written about it. Um, but it seems like we're in a what, you know, we, you and I know we're in a different world right now. And, and I wonder if, what, what do you think, what do you think's changed? You know, obviously that's a, that's a, that's a question we could have seven podcasts about, but, um, you know, what are the fundamentals of the change? And I, I, you know, I'll just give you some thoughts data or a thoughts data. Um, I always thought of John, I mean, always, and I know it's not true, but I always thought of him as sort of, 
you know, the, the, the classic smartest guy in the room that, you know, he is going to crack the code. He knows how to do it. And he's not only is he able to do it, he's brilliant on his feet, probably the best presenter in the, in the agency. Absolutely. Uh, right. So mm -hmm. can sell anything. Um, and so sort of like this, this idea that, um, you know, you had these strategy gurus and we had a generation, our generation, when we were learning, um, we had, we were surrounded by these gurus, whether it was Adam, whether it was Jane, whether it was John. Um, and not to say that those people are, uh, there aren't still gurus, but the sort of cultural backdrop around expertise has changed. You know, it, it's changed in society and it's changed in agencies. Um, so Absolutely. I, I think that has implications for heads of strategy. And I, I thought that would be a good thing to talk about as a start of change. I love that. You know, yes, I, I, I grew up like you in a world of cult of personality, you know, um, the guru world is is certainly that and i am not that i always say i'm a i'm a guide not a guru and i i think that is one of the foundational shifts because while the art of strategy is still the same we have to make meaning out of mess lots of messiness and the world has only become more and more complex the stakes are higher for our clients um the remit is way wider you know than um than it was when it was just about advertising and, and advertising in that really direct and formative way, you know, with the three network, <laughs> four network. Wow, that was a big change when we jumped from three to four networks. Um, but I mean, the, the world has expanded in, in, in way more complex ways. So, you know, um, the way we like to talk about it now, it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's impossible, actually, you know. Um, our approach to strategy is a team because of all the various things we have to understand and unlock in order to get the meaning out of the mess. So it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about making the entire room smart. Yep. And so, that's fundamentally how it's changed. So we, I mean. So you, 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 were, you know, uh, Gibby was the pioneer to, to, in thinking about media, you know, strategists, Brand strategists, partner with media connections planners, communication strategists, I don't know, whatever you call them, right? That was a sort of a pioneering shift that you mm -hmm. got, right? And that was a while back. Yes, and that's why Christine and my partnership is so important to this mix. You know, um, there are no lone wolf planners anymore. Um, you know, I think as I grew up, it was very much um, a, a planner would take the problem, um, the ingredients of the problem, go into the cave, come out and whip out and drop the mic, you know, on, on what the strategy is. It, it's really hard to do that. Um, with the environment and the landscapes and the challenges facing the, the businesses and the speed by which culture and business move. Um, and so it's really about the mix of uh, strategists we put together. And, mm. um, and, and that's why it's so fun to lead strategy these days, because it's all about your bench, your talent bench. Mm. And I have to say one of my favorite 
Um, or maybe the points of pride for me and Christine in how we've led is building the most interesting bench of talent. Mm. And when you mix them up, the alchemy that comes out of it is the magic of strategy today. There, um, there, there is no expertise or singular expertise. Um, when I look across our department, there's all kinds of mastery happening. And it really is an alchemy when it comes together. And, it, and, and you know, we've built a department, and I think this maybe can come across as, um, I don't know, soft, but there's a very, um, it's a foundation of generosity. So everyone, in the department shares across the group. And that's the only way we get to deeper, faster, richer. Yeah, it's really, it's, it, it's such a, I'm on, the, I'm on my high horse about this because I'm, uh, I'm trying to weasel my way into <laughs> consulting uh, jobs around this idea of the department. Mm. I think the department is a secret weapon. And it the department is. is the first thing to go when a CSO gets dragged in every meeting. Yes. The, 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 the thing that is a secret weapon just gets left, jettisoned, and um, never gets fully formed or utilized or built or never becomes an entity, never grows into an entity. And that, I think, as you're saying, because you, you, you know, you're a proponent of it, um, is what keeps strategy alive, strong, vibrant. And um, we never th used to think of it as a team sport. You know, we always used to be jealous of the creative department who had teams. There were two of them who could bounce ideas off each other. And we were sort of bouncing ideas off the wall. Yeah. Um, but why did it have to be like that? It doesn't. It was just the way it tended to work. And it's so true. Um, and, you know, and I, I still don't know, is it, is, is it the structure of the business or, or what? But I, I remember the days and you and I started, you know, during the days when we were still fighting to have strategy as part of the conversation. You know, I remember the first APG, you know, conferences I attended. It was about how do we convince you know, agency it's, leaders and clients that they need account planning, you know, and then, and it's so beautiful. And I went through the era of how do we convince them they need comms planning and contextual learning, you know, and, but you're right. Um, I think we are in the era of the department, you know, and, and just like we are past the phase of cult of personality and the guru, the reason why that doesn't work is that that hero effect, right? It's the heroic leader, but that has capacity to it. If you are building for sustainable growth, you need many, many people who can, you know, come together and add to the IP and push that thinking because the timelines are shrinking. They're not expanding. Yeah. Um, and we have more to understand and unpack, more complexity to deal with, and we still have to deliver that meaning, the so what, and we have to do it in bigger ways. And I, I think the excitement for me is that as advertising, I think, is um, shrinking 
in terms of the, its value in a CMO or in an organization or in a brand's remit, you know, strategy has grown. So the ability to do strategy upstream and at um, in a way that affects and drives business transformation, business value, business growth, that's really exciting. And what you get to do when you do that is unlock all sorts of creative opportunities, not just advertising. And I think that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And the way we've done that at GSMP, at least, is we've created something called Brand Camp, um, which is really fun when you talk about, you know, why why don't strategists have partners? Why do creatives have partners? But BrandCamp is essentially a team of all strategists, strategists of different flavors, different um, different masteries coming together in a really concentrated, accelerated run, a sprint, you know, which we didn't get to do when it was all about creative output. So how, how, does, how does that actually work? Um, Without the first thing is... Trade secrets. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's 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 selling strategy in a productized way, you know, and um and and so selling. I'm a client. I want to come work with Good B, and 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 you say, let's do a brand camp. It's going to cost you X. It's going to take two days. We're going to do a day. What? And then what? It is it is it like a workshop? It's a six week strategy sprint that's concentrated, rigorous. Um, with the output being what we call an organizing idea. And we call it an organizing idea. It's equivalent to, um, you know, there's a whole strategic framework behind it, but the organizing idea is meant to organize um, not just your Marcom, but the organization of the, the client business. Who, need, who needs to be, who, do from the, who are you demanding participates in the brand camp to make it successful? The C-suite. The C-suite? The most senior leadership, yes. And is this and is this something that every type of client gets, or is it a sort of a startup-y No, you know, it, it originated um, with startups. You know, many years ago, because we're in we were we're in the land of Silicon Valley, it made a lot of sense, and we did a hackathon. You know, over a weekend with lots of startups, their founders, um, you know, um, different teams. Of, signed to them. And that was the beginning. And then we started doing it for very large clients like Cisco and, you know, um, Sam's Club. And uh, we played with all sorts. And what we realized is early stage startups, it doesn't work with because they haven't quite solved what it is they are offering, you know, and there are many iterations to that, that they still have to go through. Um, But what we have found is when a when you have realized the product magic and, um, and and you need to scale to that next level, it works. But we've done it for all size brands. And um, it allows us to work with clients who aren't even ready for advertising. Yeah. You know, they're not at that stage yet. And so it makes a whole lot of sense. So it's expanded the portfolio of clients that we can. So these, these might be people that call you back in a year and say, we're ready now. Exactly. Or they need a different creative output. Um, And a lot of times what they need first and foremost is internal communications. How do they rally people around that organizing Mm -hmm. idea? 
And then of course, identity and brand signals, how do they show up in the world that is not necessarily uh, communications driven, but Mm -hmm. definitely communicates. Let's go back. Can we get back to the team concept for a second? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you, is is it um, accident or design? I, do you, did you just happen to bring together a really eclectic and interesting group of people just by sort of accident? Or do you recognize that you need, you know, a goalkeeper in a soccer team is a goalkeeper, not a center forward and vice versa? Or so what was it? Was it you recognized that you needed a, a toolbox and, 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 and people in that who had certain capabilities? Or is it just you have um, these really interesting people who have just happen to have. Well, we've here, here's the benefit is it was definitely was an accident. It was not an accident, but the benefit of working at GSMP is I inherited talent, you know, mm-hmm. amazing group of talent to start with. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it was part personal preference and what I had found to work um, you know, in, in the various layers of my, and chapters of my career, and then also seeing the magic that happens, um, when people are not competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there are periods, I, I've definitely worked in agency cultures that are cutthroat, um, competitive, um, uh, flirting with toxicity, you know, and, and I found that that was really good. Those were um, cultures that fostered great cult of personality, individual hero-like strategists. Um, But, you know, I spoke a lot with Derek Robson, who's the president of our agency, and he's a a, a former uh, planner by trade as well. And he used to always say to me, you know what, Bonnie, you are one of our most valuable strategists because you bring the strategy out of the team. And I think, and I think he always saw that the future of business was too complicated for the lone wolf heroic strategist to do alone. So I think he had that instinct really early on. Um, and I think it's part of the reason I, I, you know, I, I, I became a leader of the group and then, and, and then I think what was rough at the time is we did have a lot of individual heroic players, um, in the department and it naturally sorted itself out. I think by leadership by design is, um, your actions speak way louder than your words. And I think, you know, leaders embody the values and the methods um, that they believe. And and that was very much how it shook out. Um, I think it was very competitive between the disciplines, you know, within our strategy group. And Christine and I worked really hard to bridge those we continue to do that and, and and kind of bring everyone into the fold and embody the values that we really wanted to project and cascade throughout the group. And then um, the the hiring brief became very clear and it was a tough one at the beginning that we didn't want we wanted very smart um, intuitive talent, but it had to come with character. 
um, and, and openness and generosity were two um, non-negotiable traits. Um, and, and that intersection was really hard to find because I, I think, you know, we were in still in the stages of that past era, but over time, I think we really have built the strength. And when you look across the group and, uh, I'm always blown away. Every individual that comes to mind, the unique shape of what they bring to the department, plus who they are as human beings. Um, it's stunning. It stuns everyone who interviews with us. Um, it is probably the feather in my cap as well, a leader. So, um so much to talk about i've got to work out my priorities um so what about um junior talent mm. can, can you find it um you know there, there seem to be a lot of challenges out there you know we the, the sort of advertising industry has been through sort of um you know layoffs no lack of training um you know there's over promotion um lots of things happening and you know i was having a conversation today with someone in europe who's literally getting emails 10 15 times a day from strategists in europe saying i don't know what i'm doing mm. uh, and this, yeah. this whole idea of fundamentals um and you know sort of trying i guess trying to hack your way to strategy versus mm. uh, understanding the fundamentals. Yeah, that's a really difficult one. First of all, I will say there's so much junior talent out there and junior almost undervalues yeah. <laughs> who they are. There is an abundance of rich, incredible talent and our um, entry-level, mid-level ranks are, are, are some of my you know, most exciting uh, talents that we have, and, and we invest a lot into them. Um, it, it's a tension between training them and giving them dogma yep. versus helping them navigate their own voice and their own instincts. So giving them enough markers and of guidance um, while fostering their mm -hmm. intuition, because you know, um, I, I think our belief is always show up with a beginner's mindset, bring yourself, continue to bring yourself to it, but have a wide and expansive view because um, you can't rely on your instincts, but you have to bring your own unique flavor to how or, or lens, that's probably a better word, lens to how you're seeing the problem and the opportunity and the ideas. So we created a you know, 15 week strategy camp in this remote world. And the beauty of a remote world, um, there's a lot of shadow sides to it. Um, so I, I'm not going to go into all that, but the beauty of it is everything's recorded. <laughs> so we have it now we've built a wonderful library and we had the final um, camp in person because we were coming out of COVID and that was remarkable, but we really wanted to instill the principles, share the practices, give examples while leaving space for people to bring their own signature to it. Does everyone have to go through strategy camp or just certain? 
quite. No, uh, well, we it's all it's so recent. We we freshly finished this in okay. February, so um, we started last fall, and um, we had some wickedly great, um, you know, strategy directors leading that. Stephanie Phillips and Kelly Evans Pfeiffer, um, extraordinary um, strategy leaders. Um, extraordinary at their craft. But um, what's great is the library is available for everyone. And, and I, I, I don't want just strategy um, folks to be listening and, you know, um, and reading those decks. I want everyone in the agency to really understand the power of strategy and the art of how we get it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, just going backwards to go forwards, I think, I guess if you, if you look back at the chronicle of history of good being and planning. I think from what I remember, Arnie Jacobson mm. was the first head of strategy and he was actually a qualitative and he still is a qualitative researcher. Brilliant. Yes. I remember. And so it, they kind of bought the BMP model and then John came from BMP um, so the model was based on the going out and doing research. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't even know if this is correct, but I, I seem to kind of the new business secret was landing on a direction early, going and validating the direction uh, however we could, uh, you know, as a, uh, in, in terms of this, that's the work of the strategist. It's not we're going to get to something early uh, then we're going to validate it and then we're going to take some ideas out and we're going to be able to show the client that you know we've brought the consumer into this process um, but it's in a very smartly thought out way mm -hmm. um, so now we're in 2022 there are limited research budgets and there is as you said ever more limited time how do you how do you ensure best practices under constraint oh my goodness that's why the department is so important yeah. right um, the generosity of the department the exchange um, because you have um, strategists across a varied mix of um, challenges and problems industries and categories and when you can um, you can surface and, and share across the board. That is one way to mm -hmm. get exactly. across it. You know, uh, research is always going to be fundamental and core to our insights, but um, it, it's less, I think this is nothing new. Uh, every agency has broken this, but it's less of a baton pass and we're always learning. You know, how do you get into an always learning, always on kind of um, ear to the ground? But the challenge is, is in a world where diversity and recognizing, you know, um, we can't be speaking to one cultural audience, you know, that makes it even more challenging. Making sure that, um, the audience research that we're doing, which audience, which audience matters? And are we getting, you know, a wider perspective that that is challenging the speed of it. So I think we have to, what we try to do is um, design fast, have a current, a, a constant pulse. So we have an omnibus that we're always feeding questions. 
Um, and every account, every project, every strategist gets access to that. At the same time, designing scrappy ways of uncovering, um, being experimental with research um, and continuing the research and understanding and digging even after the ideas are generated because you're not done. You know, you're never finished. You have to keep going out there and have that ear to the ground. Um, so I don't know that we have the perfect way. It's deeply messy but we have to try all the ways. Yeah, the other, the other thing that I was, um, the other advantage of, well, I mean, I think you've, you've touched upon, and obviously um, you've got people's past, I mean, consultancies are brilliant at this, right? You know, you, they log, they know where you came from, they know every project, they know you're a banking expert and they bring you into the team. So, you know, but we're really not very good at that in advertising. We, we haven't really tapped into people's past. I mean, we sometimes do, but generally it sort of gets forgotten and maybe it becomes outdated quite quickly, but there's, a, there's definitely an opportunity there when people are new, they have experience in categories that you don't. So obviously that's not, that's a, a really, um, yeah. Again, I think, you know, it's the death of expertise. We can't compete with the, you know, um, the expertise that consultants bring to it, but what where we can have an edge is creativity. So we treat research, we treat strategy as a creative endeavor as much as it is an intellectual, you know, and, and rigorous exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about how do we build on existing knowledge? We always start with, you know, what's out there already. And then what are the smarter, more creative, more yeah. experimental ways that we can look at data and um, mine for data? It's really about asking better questions, smarter questions, sharper questions than, you know, trying to boil the ocean. Yeah, it makes sense. Um. I had another, I was thinking about, what was I going to talk about? Team, something about team. So, so do you actually believe that, I mean, for example, just sharing thinking with people who haven't been part of it. So kind of like you're working on something, but another strategist, planner, has had nothing to do with it, always useful mm -hmm. to share. Um, I always think that's sort of a good example of like team, you know, being able to being have the environment where you feel that you're happy, you can, you can share your work or share, share lessons or, you know, share, um, you know, share best practices. A agency I worked in in London, um, we had a, literally had a, a big department and I think the one question our strategy director always used to ask every week is, can someone share with an example of where they, how they failed? Mm. Something that didn't go right. I always thought that was really instructive to learn and just to build a sort of an idea that not everyone's perfect and that, you know, we all, we were all, we all have our own struggles and sharing those struggles and how we, how we got out of those. I thought that was really good. Um, the other thing I think about department is um, philosophy. So, you know, there's nothing worse than having a bunch of lone wolves. Each has an independent philosophy on the way the consumer's moving, the brand, the world's moving. Um, everyone's reinventing the wheel. 
all the time versus a sort of a generalized consensus of what's happening in the world and why we do what we do. I always think that's a, a, a misfire a lot of agencies never get to. They, they're so obsessed with sharing their work, they don't put a context around that work. Because the work exists, the work is created for a reason and it's based on a sort of set of principles. Maybe some of those are quite simplistic, but I think they can get quite sophisticated if, if you want to. And I think the, a, a strategy department could be really good at codifying that so you're not reinventing the wheel and so you actually have something to draw upon that's such a great point and you know we suffer from it too is you burn so much energy we we love the idea of approaching everything from a beginner's mindset yeah, yeah. you know you're scrubbing this slate clean and you're coming in fresh and and there is that energy and optimism but you burn a lot of energy you know rebuilding the process not knowing where it is uh, our brand camp team is so phenomenal because they have broken with that and they have really codified the process. And when you codify the process, it allows inexperienced strategists with really great instincts to come in because the process holds them, holds them accountable, holds them safe, guides them through how to think, you know, so there is great value. We've learned that, you know, by codifying that six week sprint and allowing a lot of strategists to come in together um, and play with each other in the same sandbox. So I, I, I absolutely agree. You have to design for that kind of energy. Otherwise you leave people adrift and we are also guilty of that. So that, you know, it's always a work in progress, you know, um, and all the steps of getting better and building the team so that it can, um, it, it can operate, but people do devalue, I think the importance of the experience and our brand camp team always says that, you know, we, we have to understand the magic of the results are, um, you know, comes from the experience itself. So if you're going to come at it traditionally, you will get the same, you know, output. But if you change the dynamics and the approach of it without getting into the specific details of how they work, you really change the outputs. And, and I think that's what uh, we're all running so fast at delivering the pitch, winning the business, you know, um, satisfying that next big client presentation that we're not designing the experience or being thoughtful about how we design for team. Yeah, that was very interesting. Should we talk about your book? Sure. What would you like to know? <laughs> Everything. Why you wrote a book, what the book is about. I never intended to write a book. So that is probably um, one of the biggest, uh, most rewarding, unimaginable rewarding experiences that I could have uh, imagined. You know, I've always been fascinated by human behavior, what makes people tick. And um, I think that's why I became a planner in the first place. And then early on, I saw the value of, oh my gosh, you know, there's some really human applications to the tools that we use in um, as strategists. And then in 2010, I reflexively got to put those tools to use Um I was really in a dark chapter of my personal life and, and in my marriage, you know, um, and 
in probably the lowest moment of despair, I I really didn't know where to turn. It was either, okay, this thing is going to fall apart or boom, light bulb. Why don't I brief it? Because it was a familiar frustration. The messiness had gotten um, complex. I didn't see my way through, but yet as a strategist, I had been trained for so many years how to cut through the BS. And, and, and I think that's what I did. I wrote a brief for my life. And um, it really opened up a new way of seeing my marriage most fundamentally. And it got my husband and I aligned as briefs do. Uh, it's really cliched, but you know, crazy. It aligned us. It gave us a new thing to, um, to, to a new purpose for us. And, and, and it, it led us to a six year chapter of our life that so out of the dark chapter came the golden years, as I like to say. And, um, and then the agency, uh, a couple years later, um, asked all the leaders to teach something personal. Mm-hmm. And that was really the thing that I thought of that was the most useful. So I taught it to a standing room only. Mm-hmm. Uh, room of employees and um, including some very senior peers of mine. And um, it was kind of like a coming out of the closet moment because, you know, as a woman and as a leader, we're taught to present a very perfect, polished version of who we are. And I think it's the greatest disservice to upcoming um, talent because, most people look at perfect leaders and think, I'm not that. I'm not going to choose that. You know, my life is a hot mess. And in that moment, I bared, I, I opened the curtains to the hot mess of my own life and people were moved. And I, I saw the power in it. And then the agency that month asked me to teach it again. <laughs> a lot of people heard about it. They they want to attend. And then later the agency said, I think you need to put this out in the industry. And so it kind of grew from there and Coca-Cola called and Accenture and Bain. And so it just kind of had a life of its own, which I think ideas tend to do that. I t- good ideas tend to have lives of their own. And I never really watered it. Um, I just said yes every time an invitation came. And that's how the book happened. Um, I gave a talk at a wonderful um, kind of a place in Oakland. And there was an, a, a literary agent who is now one of my favorite people in the world. Um, she couldn't attend, but she asked to have a meeting. And my beautiful friend, Marielle, um, arranged a breakfast for us. We met. And at the end of the breakfast, um, my now agent said, okay, are you ready to write the book about it? <laughs> and I thought, what? I have four kids. I have a pretty busy job. Um, I don't know that I have the time to write the book. And she said, don't worry. I got you on that. That's the easy part. I just want to know you have something to say. And I think this is something that people can use in their lives. And that kicked off. That was February 2020 mm-hmm. when I signed with this agency. Little did I know March was going to hit. 
And then it would open up all of my Friday, Saturdays and Sundays to architect a book proposal. And that's what happened. So they, they went around the publishers who they bid it out or how, how did it work? Well, uh, it took a year to yeah. architect the proposal. I don't know. I didn't know anything about the publishing right. industry because yeah. I had never dreamed of writing a book. Um, but a proposal is pretty damn deep. I thought, you know, paper napkin sketch, you know, one page brief about the book. No, this is a heavy, well-architected. Um, you basically architect the entire book and you write full chapters. So that really took a, a year because in between parenting and and all the things that really matter to me and the and and leading and leading through a pandemic and through um, social injustice and all the things that were happen, happening, the world was kind of blowing up. Um, so it took a year to architect it. I delivered the manuscript to my agent on a Sunday. Uh, on Monday, she made 20 calls. On Tuesday, she made six more and called me and said, um, Simon & Schuster has asked for a preview, which is an indication that they might want to preempt, um, meaning buy the book, mm. take it off the table before any other publishers get it. And on Thursday, we had a deal. So amazing. Yeah. A so big now, surprise. So now what's happening? So now, now it's been a year from that. That was April, 2021. And I just delivered the full manuscript, but we have, you know, yeah. rounds of rewrites. So it's taken sure. another year to actually write the book. It's nowhere near where I think I want it to be, but I'm excited um, to have enough of it Yeah. that, um, you know, I, I say to my husband, this sounds a little morbid, but if I die tomorrow, I have captured enough for our four children to know what I really believe about yeah. living a good life. That's brilliant. Amazing. That's so good. That's really. So that's enough. <laughs> that's, that, that's incredible. I mean, what a journey, you know. It's an incredible uh, I mean, journey. And, you know, the agency has been a wonderful partner in it as yeah. well. Because, you know, that's not always easy to be supportive of. Um, you know, especially you're a valued member of the leadership and you want, you've got something else to do now. Yeah. I work at a very unique and special place. And I think anyone who's inside the industry um, knows the reputation of, you know, Jeff and Rich, but also Derek and, Lester and Christine and Margaret and Brian. I mean, the, the partner group is, the whole place is extraordinary. Um, they allowed me when I, you know, I had had, when I wrote my first brief in 2010 to move to Portland, Oregon, that's where my brief came to life. And, you know, um, they allowed me to prioritize my family, being a mother at that time, you know, and with very young children, three children under five, and moved to another state at a time when remote work was not even a whisper. 
Um, and they let me commute down and have a four day week. They, they've been incredibly human. And then they brought me back and made me a partner when now I had four kids, I went from three to four kids and then brought me back, made me a partner in the head of brand strategy. It has just been a um, fantastic, phenomenal journey with people I trust, admire, um, and I'm lucky to call my friends. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. So final, final question. Um, what what keeps you energized this is a very this is an industry where people get skeptical cynical very very quickly and very easily um i mean rich and jeff are obviously amazing because they still wake up every morning and probably inspired to do the work which is obviously great from the top um but where do where do you drive your energy? Where do you where do you where do you where do you seek your inspiration? Obviously, the people around you, the people you're working with, are key. But um, what it, what yeah. is it? I am very clear, and I think the life brief and being a strategist has really helped me. I am very clear about what matters in my life. And I am hyper focused on those things. You know, my brief for work is um, fulfillment, not just achievement. Um, and, and I really, I'm rad, I radically prioritize the things. And it's, it's interesting, you know, I have a, a nine-year-old daughter who is, wants to be an astronomer. And we always fascinate as we're under the stars at how infinite the universe is and how many stars, and we're working with numbers that are just incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Yet, when we look in, inside the human body, the same sets of numbers that are incomprehensible exist. And, you know, it's interesting. I have dialed my life into my family, my, my leadership of the agency and the life brief. And it's down to three things. And within those three universes, it's so expansive. And, um, you know, there, I, I talk about, there are resume values or virtues, and then eulogy virtues, and the tension between the two is where fulfillment lies for me. You know, the resume stuff is all the tangible things that we're accomplishing as we go in a career. And then the eulogy ones are the the beliefs and values and virtues that we want to be remembered, you know, at the end of our life. And it's how do we feed both of those things. And that's deeply energizing for me to wake up in the morning and to, it's exhausting. Listen, life is exhausting no matter how you cut it. But I really strive at the end of the day to be what I call soul spent, you know, exhausted, but elated because I'm really operating from a place where you know, I, I get to do great work by helping people be better. Um, whether it's in my family, whether it's through leading this department and the agency, or whether it's helping people through the life brief, um, the content of the work still excites me. But I'm much more excited now about the people behind the work and how to create an environment and all the conditions for people to, you know, 
walk out better. I I know everyone's on lease, you know, when they come into the agency, I'm not ever going to have them forever. We're not going to, that's unrealistic, but I want them to walk out of it feeling like they've been really stretched and they've grown and they're going to bring those gifts somewhere else. That's what excites me. And I get to do that every day. I'm very fortunate. One more question. Taking a lot of your time. Um, One thing I've been giving a lot of thought to is the notion of what our physical environment means now. Mm. Right? Good question, yeah. So given that we are capable of doing, given that you sort of comprise, you know, you've codified and identified a prioritization mechanic, you know, right, basically. A way of a way of understanding your life through these different lenses. Um, you could assume that there are a lot of things you can do on the Zoom or on whatever that um, don't need you in person. Mm-hmm. But there are, given that you're talking about the value of people, the the need to be in person, the need the the interactions, the interpersonal. Re- interactions that we have when we're together the difference between of a team in zoom or a team in a war room uh working on something is is so different and i i heard um uh this this quote from the new york times uh, magazine editor saying how removing the physicality the magazine is literally built on a wall mm-hmm. draft form Mm-hmm. You know, two weeks before and, and they've got different editions, you know, so you actually see the, you physically see this magazine coming to life and you can't, you know, you can't do that on zoom. I mean, I'm supposed you can, but um, there's so much of our business that is about those interactions. And it seemed to me, even when I, you know, last time I stepped into, you know, an agency or remember agencies, they seem ill-equipped to, un- to be like, it's a bunch of people listening to headphones, working on a computer. But if you think about what is it going to make you, what's going to make you want to go to the office? What's, what's going to make a client want to come visit with you? I always think this is just sort of a really interesting um, thought. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I did this work on conditions for creativity. And it made me really, really think about like, are we, are we creating, I mean, the way I thought about it is there's not a, a serious sports team in the world that doesn't know the deep diagnostics of every athlete they have in their roster, right? But when an art director leaves, we go, oh, there's Fred over there. Let's, you know, let's put Fred with Bill. We don't really know. And the whole creativity thing is like this giant black box that no one wants to tell you what really goes on. And there's no sort of psych- psychology. There's no, just... Don't tell us what we need to do. It just happens. But we know that there's so much like neuroscience is advanced to the point where we actually know the best ways people come up with ideas. We know the we know so much about how to inspire and how to create those conditions. So I thought, well, now has got to be the time where we're going to rethink what the agency is like, you know, and make it a place where actually creativity thrives. We understand there's the advantage of a hybrid workplace, but when we come to the office, 
it's going to be really fun. It's going to be super collaborative. It's going to be super creative. Um, and it's, we're going to value our time there. Yeah, we haven't figured anything out, but it's so exciting to me. I, I think for two reasons, you talked about what is creativity to begin with, right? Yeah. Um, creativity is exciting because it's constantly experimenting with the mashup of different ingredients and elements, you know, change is creativity because you, there's a surprise in what you're going to get, you know, when you bring different elements together in different ways. So that to me is what creativity is all about and creation. Um, and, and I think that that is really fundamentally um, the opportunity ahead of us right now. And we're in a world that we've, we've eliminated the idea of binaries, right? This or that thinking all or nothing black or white, you know, it, this is, this is an exciting time. We're looking at that in terms of sexuality, in terms of uh, monogamy, in terms of, you know, uh, career and scaffolding and side hustles. And, you know, it, it's such a explosive time. We, we must be able to figure this out in more interesting ways um, than Zoom to Zoom or not to Zoom, all in the office or out of the office. This is a wonderful way to mix up, you know, and, and I know at the at the company level, there's a lot to think through. We think about this is the topic we talk about most mm -hmm. at the partner level. Um, but I do think it's really exciting. And when it comes to our flavor of creativity at GSMP, I know what the fundamental building blocks are. It's the trust that is born from connection. People trust when people trust each other, they feel safe enough to throw out their wildest ideas. Yeah. But when they don't feel safe, they feel like they're going to be judged or outed or you know, excluded, that's when things get really safe. Now, how do we foster psychological safety. psychological safety? Psychological safety. And I think it's done by connection. And I tell you, connection is better when you are not just neck up. There is way deeper connection and trust built. But does that mean five days in the office, nine to five? No. Um, can you have moments of um, social interaction, you know, um, that fuel the currency of connection that then builds that trust and that's taken back out into when we work together remotely and we are just neck up, you know, okay. collaborators, right? It's like so, a fuel, you know, a, a refueling and, you know, and re-energization from doing something really interesting together that then sustains yeah. you until the next moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think we're just only beginning to play with what that means. But uh, I think it's naive to think that it, we must walk the wall with the deck, you know, still, and then that's the only way to build that collaborative energy. I, I think we just, you know, it, the opportunity here is to create alternate ways of um, fostering connection, trust, and therefore the uh, creativity that comes out of collaboration. We will always be a collaborative business and we need change. You know, I find if I sit in this 
chair that I never sat in pre-pandemic, but now has my butt imprint in it, right? My my brain dies. It dies a little every day. But when I change up and go into the office and have the spontaneous, um, you know, uh, collisions of surprise, I'm not seeing the same 20 people on my Zoom every day. And, and it's like, my God, it's suddenly something else unlocks. There's an aliveness to that energy that I carry back into my bedroom in this chair. Yeah. You yeah. Know. yeah. Very cool. Well, um, thanks so much again. It was a great conversation. Oh, Ed, I'm so um, grateful for this time with you. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, probably could have spent a lot more time. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a part two when maybe we'll do a part two when the books launch. I would love that. We can talk about all about the book and all about the life brief. Um, and I could be part of your promotional tour. That would be a, an immense honor and pleasure. Great. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.